Welcome back to CrimeFiction.fm, where we bring the authors of today's best books directly to you. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and I'm here with Elizabeth George, the number one New York Times bestselling author of the Inspector Lindley series, the 19th of which, A Banquet of Consequences, was released last week. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here talking to you. It is a, an honor and a pleasure to have you on the show. The 19th book in the series, thats it boggles my mind to even think about it. I'm, I'm guessing you didn't look that far in advance uh, in 1998 when A Great Deliverance was published. Well, it was actually 1988. Uh, oh, my um, gosh. And so I'm at the, yeah, really, and, and that was a book that I um, wrote in 1985, so uh, here we are 30 years later, and I had no idea that uh, I would be able to sustain a career writing these crime novels, I've, which I've greatly, greatly enjoyed writing. So I certainly didn't project myself into, uh, into the future that occurred. <laughs> and you, were you still teaching school when, when the first book in the series was published? Um, when the book was published, I had actually taken a leave of absence because I, uh, when A Great Deliverance was purchased by um, by my initial publisher, Bantam, they gave, offered me a two-book contract. And because I had to, you know, write the second book, I took a leave of absence in uh in 1987, January of 1987, at the end of the first semester, and then from that point forward, did not return to teaching because I, when I finished the second book, they offered me another two-book contract, and the rest is history. <laughs> and for listeners who might not be familiar with Inspector Lindley, can you give us sort of a brief overview of Inspector Lindley and Detective Havers? Sure. Um, Thomas Lindley is the uh, in, is is the main character in the series, as is his partner, Doc, <clears throat> Detective Sergeant Barbara Havers, and uh, I, I, you know, when I first was. D- Designing this series, it was really for my own amusement because I really loved to write. And although I hoped to get published, I didn't know if I would. And I thought it was beginning to be really important for me to uh, write about a character that I really liked. And not only that, but a character who did not share my own personal experience in any way. So uh, I created an aristocrat who uh, is a, um, an earl and has a family pile in Cornwall and a lovely townhome in London and is well-educated and conveniently can conveniently quote Shakespeare as at the appropriate <laughs> moment. And that was sort of fun for me to do. It certainly wasn't like anybody I knew, and uh, I thought it would be a lot of fun to write about him and to give him a, a, a considerably uh, larger family than you generally see in, in crime fiction. When I gave him his first case, which was actually the third book in my in my attempt to get published, I decided that well he needs a partner, and um, in in creating Detective Sergeant Barbara Havers, I created his polar opposite. So whatever he is, she isn't, mm-hmm. and this gave the series a, a natural tension, which would lead to great conflicts between Lindley and Havers. And conflict is is the core of, of drama. Without it, you don't really have uh, you don't really have a book. So I had this initial relationship set up so that I would you know I wouldn't have to come up with an artificial circumstance that these two characters would have to confront. 
And in this book, the 19th book, it, it's got to be challenging to come up with cases that are unique and interesting enough uh, to satisfy your readers. So tell us a little bit about the, the storyline of the 19th book in the series, if you would, A Banquet of Consequences. Sure. In, in A Banquet of Consequences, I do something that I generally have not done before, and that is to also give the reader the backstory. The backstory is, you know, what actually leads up to uh, to the murder. And in this, so this book opens with uh, with a, a backstory that involves a young man named William Goldacre, and we see him in London with his uh, girlfriend Lily Foster. And we quickly learn that um, William has a number of personal problems and psychopathological psychopathological problems that uh, are going to that have caused difficulty in their relationship and that are going to send him back to his, uh, to his home in, um, in, Sha- in Shaftesbury out in Dorset. So, uh, but, but that is sort of what sets everything in motion, although he is not, not the murder victim and the murder victim is not related to him because the murder victim is a, um, is a noted feminist writer who has finally sort of struck gold with a book that she's written that's really accessible to all readers, and it's called Looking for Mr. Darcy, The Myth of Happily Ever After. That woman, Claire Abbott, becomes the, uh, the victim in the novel, and she is murdered while she is out on, <laughs> out on book tour. That's interesting. Uh, she's out on book tour for, for um, looking for Mr. Darcy, and she's in Cambridge, England, when it happens. How much time have you spent in England as, as a part of writing these 19 books? When I go to England, I, um, I go for one of two reasons. Either, I, either I'm there uh, to just have a nice time and to reacquaint myself with whatever happens to be going on in England, you know, socially, economically, politically, um, or I'm there to do research for a book. So uh, depending upon the nature of the book that I'm writing and whether it's exploring one of the great British institutions or whether it is um, just just a crime novel that's set in ordinary circumstances, that really determines how long I'm there. So, for example, when I uh, did a book that was set in, in Parliament, well, that necessitated my... Um, you know, really understanding the uh, the British political system and how people are elected and what the language is and and um, how the uh, individual members of Parliament live their lives. So that takes a little bit more time than you know than than getting location research for a book that might be set in uh, in Cornwall or in uh, in in Berkshire or in Dorset or wherever. Those that takes less time because I'm going out and and looking at landscape, which is far different from understanding a uh, a social or political situation. One of the things that differentiates your books from a lot of books in the crime genre is the deep characterization that you bring to your stories, not just the protagonist and the antagonist, but even the, the smaller characters. There's, they're all really well-developed. Is that something that you've always brought to your stories and your storytelling? Yeah, it, it is. You know, I made a commitment to uh, to myself when I began writing with the intention of trying to get published that uh, that my uh, my main focus would be on character. I love books about character, and I it was my belief that um, if I was going to write a series, what was going to bring people back to the series after reading the first book was going to be their fondness for for the characters and also the reality of the. Uh, 
you know, how, how realistically I was going to be able to portray characters who only appeared for, um, you know, one scene or one book. So it's that combination of things, I think, that, um, that really made the series uh, popular with people. And it's interesting to me that you've, you've continued to do that over time because so many books are getting smaller, that the characters are getting smaller, uh, the number of characters that are developed is, is fewer and fewer, um, but, but not so with you. Your, your books continue to, to have this rich characterization, and it, it's obviously something that's important to you. Do you ever get any pushback from your publisher? Never. <laughs> Good. I, I, yeah, I've been very, very lucky right from the start. Uh, my very first editor at Bantam, she was my acquiring editor, was the uh, wonderful Kate Niziak, and um, her, her, she understood from the beginning what I was trying to do, and she never got in my way. She never made any demands. She never said, "Oh, but you have to have so and so in this book because your reader expects to see so and so." Never did that. It was always up to me what I wanted to do and how I wanted to, uh, you know, which characters I wanted to feature in a book. Always it was my, my decision, and she was uh, wonderfully supportive. You know, it's, it's funny because I've heard Kate's name mentioned multiple times on this show, and it's always followed by something oh. like wonderful or brilliant. Oh yeah, yeah, she's great. She's very quirky. Uh, I get a big kick, big kick out of her, um, and and but she's she was, you know, she knows how, what she knew is that what a, what an editor is supposed to do is to support a career, and um, so and Bantam knew that too. Of course, publishing has changed a lot mm-hmm. in, in the years since I first was published. But what they knew is that if you're going to support the career of a writer, then it's going to take a while for that career to develop. And you have to allow, not only allow uh, the writer to develop, but you also have to give the writer that time to develop so that, so that you know, a readership is built. They, they got that. And uh, and so because of that, they never put any pressure on me about anything. They just let my career develop, and they were secure in the knowledge that I was going to be able to win a readership over time, and that's exactly what happened. Do you see that happening anymore, where authors are allowed to develop a readership over time? Because it, it seems like it's it, it doesn't happen much. Well, yeah, I, I don't think it happens much. Um, I, I think it's you know it it still goes on, but certainly not the way it used to go on. Because the the thing that occurred is that um, these these great uh, conglomerates started coming in and buying up publishing companies, and so those the publishing you know, they used to call it a gentleman's profession, and mm-hmm. part of it was that they. Publishers understood that you build a career over time, then that um, that the, uh, the the purpose of the editor's relationship with the writer was to facilitate the building of that career and the growth of the writer as a creative artist. But what happened is when you had these big conglomerates come in, and then their main focus was on profits. Well, they would take a look at the bottom line. You know, is the writer in the red or in the black? Mm-hmm. On the you know, based on the uh, on the um, advance that the writer had been given, and they were they were always looking for the next big whoever it was at the moment. So, for example, when uh, you know you had the Bridges of Madison County become this this you know sort of surprise bestseller, then they 
publishers began looking for the next uh, person who could write a book like The Bridges of Madison County. Well, when you have that as your, uh, you know, as your focus, who's going to be the next person who can write the horse, something like The Horse Whisperer? You know, if that's how you're going to do publishing, then then what you end up doing is, you know, forgetting about the people who are doing really, really good work that may not necessarily... Um, you know, make make your company, you know, $50 million the mm-hmm. first time out. Your company might actually lose money, but you're making an investment in the writer for the future. Right. And that doesn't happen much anymore. It's very well put. And, it, and we're all, you know, we're all worse off because of that. One last question. I know you're, oh, you're on a short time frame. You, uh, many of your, many of these novels have been uh, translated uh, to, to television f- through the BBC. Uh, when you first saw it, and when you first uh, knew that the knew of the actors that were being picked, were you horrified, or was it fabulous? You mean? Do you mean with the casting of Nathaniel Parker and Sharon Small? Yes, and then actually seeing it on oh. screen for the first time. I was surprised by the casting because, um, particularly in the in the case of Sharon Small, I'd seen her before and I knew she was really attractive. So that surprised me that they would go with with someone that attractive to play mm-hmm. Barbara Havers. Um, having said that, and of course Nathaniel um, looked nothing like Lindley actually looks. Um, Having said that, when I saw their performances, uh, I I was fine with it because uh, I was I got to go on location and watch some of the filming. And and when I saw Sharon do a particular scene as Barbara Havers, I knew that she was she was really a good choice for the part. In that, she captured the flavor of the character, and Nathaniel captured the flavor of Detective Inspector Lindley. So it wasn't a problem for me. It didn't affect how I wrote about the characters and how the characters look in my head. Uh, that that wasn't a problem for me. It didn't affect that at all. All right, thank you. I'm I'm always curious about that, Elizabeth. What's the yeah. best way for readers to keep up with you and your work? Probably to keep their eyes um, on my website, which is elizabethgeorgeonline.com, or to uh, you know follow me on Twitter, which is at Lindley Mysteries, or to uh, check out what I'm doing through uh, through Instagram at egpix, E-G-P-I-X. All right. I will link to all of that in the show notes. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you. This is Stephen Campbell for CrimeFiction.fm. You can find us on iTunes and on the web at www.CrimeFiction.fm. If you do pop by the website, please sign up for the email list. I send out an email each Friday with a summary of the week's interviews. It's the best way to keep up with what we're doing and to be sure you don't miss out on great new books like A Banquet of Consequences from Elizabeth George. Thanks for listening.